All right. So uh, I was thinking about it this week, and I was I landed on Psalm uh, chapter forty. This this scripture. It's a Psalm of David. Um, I, I love I love that. Um, and it's really interesting. David was a king, right? We know that. He was a warrior. We know that. Defeated Goliath. And, but he was also a poet. And he was a musician. And all this stuff. And so it's kind of, I think it's kind of cool. Um, he has different kinds of psalms and uh, poetry that he's written. Some of them are private. Some of them are just himself standing for God in time of confession. All this. Psalm 40, we know, is a, um, is a public psalm. It's one that he's writing on behalf of himself as well as uh, the nation of Israel. It's also, we know that it's, it's a prophetic psalm. We know that now as we look back into some of the things that he says uh, in Psalm 40 uh, about Christ and, and the coming Messiah. And as we look back, we can look at the scripture and we can, we can know that. But it even makes it more important to me to understand the heart of David as we read it, knowing here that Christ had not yet come. Uh, specifically in verse 6 of, of, of Psalm 40 where he says this. He says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But my ears you have opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come, it is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God, your law is within my heart. Now it's interesting that David here is saying that sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Because at that point, under the old covenant, that's what he required, right? There's all these rules, there's all these things, there's all these commands, all these things. And yet David somehow understood the heart of God that although... This is what was written, all these things. This is the, this is, it's truly the heart of the law and the heart of the things, uh, uh, of, of these things that God uh, truly desires. No longer is, is it or it, is it a life of trying just to be good enough to prove ourselves to God, but more so it's a response of our heart to who God is. And that's what he commits the first several scriptures in Psalm 42. Um, he, he realized that God doesn't delight in us just doing stuff, but it's the heart connected with what we do that makes a difference. And because he realized this, we note through Scripture that David was called a man after what? God's heart. Wouldn't it be nice to be known as a man or woman after God's heart? I think of all the things I want to be known for when I stand before God and he goes, whatever he's going to say. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if he just said, you know, the, you, you messed up a lot. But the one thing I think is really awesome is that I, you were after my heart. Whatever that looks like, whatever that takes, whatever that means, um, I hope that is our desire, you know. Um, but the interesting thing here that David did is he, he was living in a time of rule and legalism and all this stuff. And he understood the heart behind that. And the interesting thing about what Christ did is when he came, he abolished the law. Well, he fulfilled the law, okay. And he said, well, I'm going to fulfill everything that the law requires of you to try and make you pure to, or to point out your sin and point out where you can't do it. I'm going to fulfill all of that. And now you get to the joy and the privilege of just living in the heart of it. The, the, the way of the spirit of, of Jesus Christ that we talked about the last several weeks as we we're looking at Romans, that we get, to, we get to live in that moment. However, it's interesting to me that in that, in that place that Christ calls us to, in that thing that he calls us to, this life, okay, he still gives us two things. He gives us two things throughout his teaching and throughout his life that he says, I really want you to do. All right? And just like the law, these two things are significant, but without the heart of it, uh, it falls significantly short. All right? And the first thing that he says, that, uh, that he says, I, I just want you to do this. He didn't call law anything. He says, I just want you to do this. I want you to remember something. I want you to do this. And what that is is communion. He told his disciples, remember, before the cross and, and that... 
uh, when they were having dinner together, he says, I want you to do this and I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to realize that the bread is my body. It's broken for you. My blood is poured out in the new covenant. Okay? I want you to do this. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I'm about to do for you that, that because of this, the requirements of the law are fulfilled that you might live in this. This is why I want you to do this. And so when we started our church, we thought, okay, I've been a part of churches that do communion once every quarter, once every six months, once a month, whatever it may be. If we value this this much and we want to make sure that everything we do here comes back to who Christ is, and let's do this every single week. But the problem is, is so easily that becomes rote for us. You know? We could go through the motions and, you know, we could come up here and we could take the, we could take the bread, we could dip it in the cup and really not even think about it. If, and that's a real danger. But we've just decided we have, to, we have to do this. We have to focus on this. We've had to focus on the, the heart of it. So we've just decided, no, this is going to be central to who we are as a church. We're not going to just close the sermon and say, amen, everybody go home. We're going to reflect on God's word. We're going to think about where it meshes with the cross and all of this. And we're going to do what Christ called us to do. And so we do that, hopefully out of the right heart. And, and I, we do it for the right reasons. And I, and I pray that each one of us focus on that each week as we take communion together. The second thing he really asks us to do, and, and it's considered the ordinance of the church. The second ordinance of the church that we know of through scripture is baptism. It's baptism. Baptism isn't something you do every Sunday, thank goodness. We take a lot of water and a lot of towels. Um, but, it, but it is something that is very, very real. It's very called out in Scripture. It's something that Jesus literally called us towards doing. But we're kind of in a church culture right now where um, baptism for some reason is this thing. It's this kind of this sometimes unspoken thing, this thing that kind of exists out there that a lot of us don't really understand fully. We don't fully understand what it represents. We don't fully understand why we should be baptized. We just, we're just told we're supposed to. So I want to commit some time today to talk a little bit more about baptism. Hopefully we could gain a greater understanding of it. One, you can understand my heart as a pastor, as, as, as all of our pastors here at Austin Nutrients, our heart behind why we do baptism and, and, and what is significant about it. Um, hopefully it's kind of a journey for you. But here's the deal. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of concerns. There's a lot of things that keep us from being baptized, uh, things that float around our mind. And every one of us have had them, everyone have heard it. So let's talk about for just a minute. What are some of the questions you've heard other people say or uh, concerns you've had? Or what are the main questions about baptism that you hear or think about? Why? Why would you be baptized? Okay, what else? Can I be baptized as an infant? Or... Since I was baptized as an infant, should I be baptized as an adult? They hear that a lot, right? Does it undo it? Will God get mad at me? What else? Seriously, I mean, it's very real. Most of you are like, yeah. What else? Yeah, how can we do it? Should you sprinkle, pour, dunk? What's the right of Jesus? What's the right way, right? Okay. I don't think dunk was in the Bible. What else? What other questions we have? Do, Okay. Good one. Do, is it required for salvation? What else? <clears throat> How do you know when to be baptized? Great question. What else? Okay. Okay. When? Right away? Can you wait? Is there a right way to do it? A wrong way to do it? Timing wise? Okay. What else? Can you be baptized more than once? That was something. I, a lot of people, well, I was baptized more, but I'm not sure I really know what it meant. And, and I mean, again, will God get mad at me if I do it again? Or 
you know, if my heart is right, just what's the, yeah. How do you explain baptism to your children? Someone in the earlier service said, what about, how do we lead our children? When, how, what does it mean? All this stuff. What else? So there, I know there's a lot more questions, but those are similar questions in our first service. So there's similar questions that I've heard over the years and I've thought uh, over the years. And the reason why I, I wanted us to do this is because I wanted everyone in here to understand that we're all in the same boat. That probably all of us have different questions about baptism or, or different things of faith. Uh, some of us, we like to pretend like we know everything about faith because we feel that pressure to be spiritual giants or whatever. But um, what I love about it is that we're really, all of us, whether you've been baptized or not, we're kind of in the same boat in many ways. And um, what, what I love about that is when we're in the same boat together, uh, for, for, for much of our faith journey, half the battle is won. Because it's also a representation of who Christ is when you think about his very nature as God with us. The word Emmanuel means God with us. And a reminder that we are in this together. Your questions are not odd. They're not, you're not sitting there in isolation that no one else have ever thought this or yours is something wrong with you spiritually or whatever if you don't know the answers to these things. But what it does is it places us in a situation where we say, okay, well, let's just look at this and let's answer. Let's try and answer some of these questions. Let's look into scripture. Let's see what Jesus said. Let's see what Jesus did. And let's just take an honest look at it. Let's kind of strip away for a moment. Can we just strip away everything we've learned and we've known and we've grown up with or we've thought or we whatever and just say, okay, if this is of God and this is something Jesus did, Jesus, how did you do it? Why did you do it? And what does your word teach about it? And my hope is today we can answer a few of these questions, if not most of them. All right, and in looking into uh, what God's word has to say. So what do I want to do? Let's start in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. This scripture is known as the Great Commission. This is where Jesus comes back and he's, um, he's speaking to his disciples and he's kind of giving them the last hurrah, saying, okay, I'm heading out. You're in charge, kind of. You're going to go do this and here's what I want you to do. And here's what he says. He says, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make comes from a, a phrase that really meaning as you are going. So it's really a part of your life. Uh, go and make disciples, those who are disciples of Christ, okay, uh, of, all, of all nations. It, it's interesting to me, sometimes as pastors, we minimize the scripture and we make this just about evangelism and just getting people converted but it's really more than that. I think we sell it so short when we do that because we think, okay, I'm saved, now it's over. Now I can just relax and live my life. Well, it's really not what it's saying. It's saying make disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, those who emulate Christ. It's a, it's a lifelong process. It starts with salvation, but it's this process that happens. For me, that's good news again because that means that it is a process that happens, that we don't just arrive the moment we, we get saved, you know? It's a lifelong process. Hopefully, you will grow more Every year, I will grow more every year of my life. Paul himself said, I work out my salvation with much fear and trembling. And he knows the significance of it in this process that is happening. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's giving us this order, verse 20, and teaching them then to obey everything I have commanded you. I love Jesus' commands. If you remember what his commands were, they were most, most commonly to love. And he said very specifically, love God, love your neighbor. And this was the fulfillment of the law. All of the laws of the prophet hang on these two things is what the scripture says. Then he said, this was also a new command. Remember in John, I think 13, he says, there's a new command that I give to you that you would love one another. How? 
He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is his command. All right? Um, It's this new way of life, this new thing of living as he lived. Doing what he did. He's the ultimate example as the rabbi, the teacher, us as his apprentices, learning to do and to live a life as he lived. That's what it means to be a disciple. All right? So the first thing out of this scripture we need to remember, there's four main points I think are critical for us to grasp. The first one is that baptism was God's idea. There's a lot of things that are our idea. You know, there's a lot of things in church. We do a lot of, for example, you know, this stage, the form in which we do church at times, the, the style of music, the, you know, the backdrops here with the curtains and the, you know, the, there's a lot of things that we do that we meet at this time of these hours. These are all a lot of cultural things that we do because of church. It, one thing I can assure you is that uh, baptism was not man's idea. It was something that started with God that was instructed by Christ and it was, it was a huge part of who Jesus was from the very uh, beginning. Baptism was God's idea. The second one is Jesus was our example. As we think about the disciple, in order to be a disciple of Christ, we're to be, he is our ultimate example of what he has done. And here's the beautiful thing about this. I can't think of anything that Jesus asked us to do that he did not do himself. It's just a really beautiful thing that God said, you know what? I love you enough that I'm going to put on skin and I'm going to walk your life. That I'm going to go through, I, I, he, he, he lived, you know, around people who were in poverty and in need. He, he had to walk around and he had to sleep because he got tired and he had to eat in order to live. You know, he probably got splinters. Uh, God himself had walked on the earth and had to, had to go through all this stuff. And he walked the extra mile and he did all these things. And he gave us the example as how to live. And he just, he, he never had to, he never asked us to do anything that he didn't. Do himself, but the reasons are, are even bigger than that. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, talks about when Jesus was being baptized. John the Baptist had been baptizing. He'd been talking about Jesus was coming, this Messiah, who's saying, there's one coming after me who's going to baptize, is going to mean something new. He says, I baptize you with water for the forgiveness of sins. It was something symbolic for him, okay? And, and then he said, but there's one coming who's going to do this. It's going to mean something different. It's going to be something very important. I don't want you to miss it. And one day he's out there and Jesus shows up. And instantly he knows. He's like, this is the one I'm speaking of. Could you imagine that moment? If you were John. So there he is. Jesus standing there. He's baptizing. I always figured it would be kind of weird because you'd be baptized and you're like, kind of like busted. Like, oh, you should be doing this. I'm just, you know. Verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John. To be baptized by him. Okay, weird moment. Could you, what, what if you were just a dude like you are, or a gal like you are, and, and you're trying to do something you think to honor God, and Jesus shows up, and he wants you to do that for him? How humbling would that be? How just, and, and here's what happens. Verse 14, but John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him saying, and he said to him, permit it at this time. For in this way is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. Circle that word permit in verse 15. If if you have a, I don't care if you're borrowed a Bible, circle it. Next time someone reads it, they'll say, hey, permit circled. 
That word permit means suffer it, very specifically suffer it. And what he's saying is, is John, you have an agenda. You have a way that you want to do your faith. You have a way you want to live out your religion. You have a way you want to baptize and all this stuff. And you already have an understanding in your mind of how this is supposed to work between you and me. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand I have a better way. And for a moment, I want you to lay aside all that you think about it. I want you to lay aside all that you've known about it. And even all that you've expected about it. And just forget it. And just do what I'm asking you to do. Just lay it down and permit it, if you will, for just a moment that I would do this. And here's why. Because there's something bigger going on than just you. That's what he's basically saying. He says, you know, I need to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. And I think there's a bigger picture than just this, but it's a fulfillment of prophecy. It's a fulfillment of all this stuff that that scripture has said was going to happen. But there's also some, a very symbolic thing that's about to happen here that lays the groundwork for what our baptism represents today. Then he permitted him in verse 16, after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him and behold, a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So this is a big deal, right? All of a sudden the baptism service just kind of clicked up a notch. Um, what was Jesus teaching here? What was Jesus showing? What was going on? I think there's, there are many things. I think there's three that are very key. The first is this, this new baptism that taught a new posture. First of all, Jesus was teaching the posture of humility. Jesus taught over and over and over. And it was the hardest thing for his disciples to get. As he said, the first will be last, guys. So I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. This new way of life, this new command of love, this new thing. It was just this posture of humility. He's saying, it's going to take a little humility in order to, to step out and to be baptized and to submit yourself to something. He says, I'm going to give you the example that I'm going to do this. I'm going to let you baptize me. Wow. For me, it just makes Jesus even, even greater. Bless you. That makes Jesus even greater in my mind whenever he's, when he does stuff like that. You know, that's not the Pharisee. That's not the religious I know everything kind of guy. That's just a humble savior who loves. First of all, he's teaching posture humility. Uh, the second one there under, under number two is that Jesus was being revealed. He was being empowered. This was the beginning of his, his public ministry in, in, throughout scripture. Earlier on in scripture, we know that Jesus, um, um, you know, he was revealed to his disciples, his inner circle. In fact, there was a time when he told Peter, when Peter figured out who he was, he said, blessed are you, Peter, because this was not revealed to you by man, it was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. It's an amazing thing when God reveals something to you specifically. Okay? And, but he said, guys, you know, keep it under wraps for a little while because the world's not ready for this. I've got, a, I've got this plan. All right? And here is the moment. We steps in the water. He gets baptized. He stands up and the heavens open up. And the Holy Spirit ascends on him in the form of the dove. It's just empowering him and beginning his, this public proclamation of, his, of this, new, this new season of his life. And that is when God said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. So Jesus was being revealed in this moment of who he really was publicly. And the, and the last thing in here I think is really specific that I, that I don't want us to miss is that Jesus was identifying with our humanity. This is the thing that is, I, I think is one of the most cherished parts about Jesus' baptism is, and John realized it. He said, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you because the baptism that he gave, that John gave, was for the forgiveness of sin, right? Well, Jesus had no sin. So why did he need to be baptized? 
What's beautiful about this picture is Jesus is doing something a couple thousand years ago that he didn't have to do because he's identifying with you and me. He's identifying with our sin. He's identifying with our humanity. He submitted himself that he might be the fulfillment of the law. That he could stand here and do this symbolic thing a couple thousand years ago and say, I love you enough that although I'm clean as all get out, I'm going to take on your sin and your humanity. And I'm going to identify myself with your humanity through this act. I'm going to do something that you have to do that I don't have to do because I want to. And because I'm willing. And he is identifying with our humanity. Next thing. Number three, baptism reveals and communicates trust and obedience. Specifically in us then being willing to identify ourselves with him. All right? With us being able to identify with him in his way. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. The command is this new command, right? So there's three things here. I think that baptism reveals and communicates trust and obedience about. One is identification. The next is profession. And the next is submission. And let's work through those. Identification. With what? Well, with Jesus. It's, it's a, do, you, do you see the connection? 2,000 years ago, Jesus was baptized and identified himself with our own humanity that now we can today get baptized and identify ourselves with him. We could do the same thing he did and say, yes, I'm a child of God. What a beautiful word picture. Not, not only just with him and name or who he was, but him and his body. Because, you know, the baptism represents his death and then his burial. He goes under the water. It represents his burial and he comes up in new life. So it's the same thing we do today. When we're baptized, we're, it's representing us uh, being crucified with Christ. We're, we're buried with him in his death. And we are raised to walk in this newness of life. What an amazing word picture that we get to do and say, no, Jesus, I am yours. And and we not only get to do it to identify ourselves with him, but then we get to do it in front of all humanity and say, no, I need you to know this. Just as he said, this is the moment which his public ministry truly began and he was empowered in this way. The same for us. This is important, too. We're not just identified with Christ, but we're identified with, with his body. His, his physical body that was crucified, raised from there with his body. And today, his body is what? The church. So you ever wondered why churches require baptism for membership a lot of times? This is why. Because it's that thing where we say, we are not alone. We are in this together because of Christ and in Christ. In this beautiful covenant, this beautiful new way to live life. We will say, not am I baptized into Christ as, as, as a child of Christ, but I'm baptized representing being unified and identified with the body of Christ, his church, his bride. It's a beautiful word picture. So identification. The second thing is profession. It's a profession of our faith. There is a scripture uh, where Jesus says, if you deny me before man, I will deny you by my father. But if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my father. Now, Christians like to abuse that scripture and throw it all over the place. And we like to make people feel bad and judge, judge people with that scripture and everything. And I don't know exactly what it's going to take. But if I was to look at all of scripture and say, what is the one thing that it just seems like would really fulfill this thing Jesus is calling us to do? It just seems like baptism would be it. You know, the church I grew up in, the way you did that, you walked the aisle and you came forward and everybody else out here acknowledged, amen, brother, you're part of the church now, right? And I I just wonder if baptism wasn't the way that Jesus said, you know what I'd really like you to do? I'd really like you to identify with my death and my burial and my resurrection. 
I'd really like you to identify with the body of Christ, my church, which is going to be what I use as a conduit, as a voice uh, of hope and, and redemption for the world. I, I really believe if there is a way to choose it, I think that this, this, this would fulfill everything we th- see through Scripture. I don't think it's the only way to make that profession, but I do believe it's something that it most certainly does. Have you ever heard the expression, did I say this already? Have you ever heard the expression um, that baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision? I learned that in VBS like some odd years ago. But it really is. It's, it's an expression, an outward picture of something that has already happened on the inside, that you've received Christ and something happens there. So that's your profession. And the, and the, and the last thing on this part is submission. I think it's not just submission, but the spirit of submission. I think it's really hard. I think it's really weird that we struggle so much with being baptized. I remember in, in middle school, when I, I came to Christ when I was younger, and when I learned about, uh, when I learned about uh, baptism, I remember struggling with that. I mean, in front of people, oh, you know, and, and all this stuff that I struggle with. And, and I haven't met anyone that hasn't struggled with that in some regard. And, and it's amazing how we get attacked and we, and we worry about the things we don't need to worry about. And we become a really easy target for doubt and all this stuff. But it's really this, this spirit of submission we've been talking about to where we would say, you know what? I don't, I don't really care about those, all those things because I just want to do whatever Christ tells me to do. So I'm going to do it. It's a submission to Christ. It's a submission, it represents a submission to his way of life. And it's a submission to one another. That we entrust one another with this enough. We say, you know what? I'm nervous about this. And I feel very vulnerable in front of you right now. But I'm going to trust you enough with this because I need you as a body together. If anything we ever are as a church, I pray that we're vulnerable with one another. I pray that this is always a place that we could just be honest with each other. And I could stand up here and say, you know, I don't really get this, but I'm working on this. And if you want a perfect pastor, I promise this isn't your church. But I, I, I hope we value that, that submitting to one another in this. It, baptism reveals and communicates identification with Christ and his body, profession of faith, and submission to Christ, his way, um, and one another. The last point there I think is significant is baptism is a significant part of following Christ, as being a Christ follower. As you... As you live this Christ life, as you learn to be a Christian, and, and, and we know it's more than just being converted and then just live your life like you would have if you were not a believer. Although many times that happens. We know it's more than that. There's, there's more to this life. How do we know along the way where we are? How do we know along the way what we're doing? I just, honestly, my nature is, I wish, I kind of wish God would just give me a checklist that I could just do. You know, and I could, got that, got that, got that. Okay, I'm on phase two Christianity. Now, this, that, there, okay, phase two plus star bonus, whatever, you know, I'm really arriving now. We can wear badges at church so everybody knows where we are. I don't know, maybe nicer chairs for you. Um, But the truth is, we have these lists that we do. Here's what happens. That's what the law was. (laughs) We already had a list. And Jesus got rid of that. He fulfilled that thing. But the funny thing for me is I look at baptism and honestly, he kind of gives us the gift of moment with baptism. Because of all the other things we can't go, okay, here's a mark in which something happened. He gives us this moment when we go, oh no, something very significant happened at that moment. Something very significant happened there. So it, it represents a ton. It's, it represents this, that, that moment when I submitted to Christ. It was a moment where I submitted uh, uh, to his way. It was a moment where I submitted even to the body of Christ. It was, it was this moment, you know, this is an interesting thing to me. I, I, have, I have seen a ton of people who've been living their life out and they've struggled with the idea of baptism and they just didn't know and they, and they finally released to that and they were baptized and something in their life changed where it just unlocked this, this power somehow. I don't know 
I, don't, I can't explain that fully, but I don't know if it's because they finally submitted to Christ fully and maybe that was the last thing they were just hanging on to. I don't know, but it's such a big thing that Jesus very clearly said we need to do. The significant part of following Christ, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did something he didn't have to do to identify himself with us that years later we can do and identify ourselves with him. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, and he could have, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep growing astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Two quick kind of nuts and bolts discussions lines of thought how and when how if you're to look in scripture each time that jesus was baptized each time it mentions jesus's baptism jesus baptism was by immersion fully under the water okay if you were to dig into it you would see that it it means the word used means to to cover fully all right now this is why we choose at our church to baptize by immersion okay because i as leaders, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. We just want to do whatever we think Jesus did. And so what were the reasons we wouldn't do that? We can't think of any. Okay? Here's what I do believe, though. I don't think God cares as much about the way we get baptized as the heart of why we get baptized. I really don't. Uh, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think it matters. I think you could be dunked, fully immersed in the tank, and it mean nothing to you, and it and I think you could be poured or sprinkled or whatever as a believer in Christ, and it can mean the world to you. And I think in God's economy, that means the world to him. But if the reason we will not be immersed is pride or, or holding on to something or, you know what, I did that already, I don't have to do that. Instead of a spirit of just let's do this, I think there's something at odds. And so we just choose to go by immersion because from what we've seen, what we've studied, what we, we just believe that that's what it means. Scripture talks about him coming out of the water. Scripture talks about him being fully immersed, to be covered fully. And so that's why we baptize that way. But we don't do that to minimize any other way because we do believe it's about the heart and the reason why we do it. So when? Scripture calls us to be baptized when we believe and we understand who Christ is. When we believe, I believe with all my heart, Scripture leads us to say baptism of Christ, the new baptism John referred to, was a baptism of the believer. Because it represents something as that person has already received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of Christ and his salvation. All right, so as a believer. Now, if you were baptized as an infant, does that undo that or make that any less significant? No, I don't think it does. It's a new baptism. It represents something different to you, would it not? How many of you remember when you were baptized as an infant? I bet your parents do. I bet you that was very special to them. I bet you that was so significant to them and it was very important and that is not undone. But I believe as a believer, when you come into a relationship with Christ, you say, I want to submit to you and I want to live my life for you. And you say, I will be baptized even as an adult or whatever that may be. But as a believer, I want, to, I want it to represent the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ so I can identify with you, Jesus, who was baptized. It didn't need to be. I think that means a whole lot at that moment. 
And I think just that willingness to follow him and to do whatever it means, whatever it takes to follow him, I think he honors and I think he will bless you and I think he will empower you and I think there will be things that are unlocked in your life that you don't even know about yet. I don't believe that baptism saves you. I believe if you're a Christian, you will ultimately be baptized. Never in scripture it says someone got saved and not baptized. It always says they were saved and baptized. But we do know one time in scripture that someone got saved and did not get baptized. Who, you remember? Jesus on the cross. Two thieves. One on each side. One was just throwing out, you know, all kinds of stuff that was negative probably. And the other guy was like, oh no, you're Jesus. And he figured it out. You're the son of God. Remember what Jesus did? He looked at him and he said, today I'll see you in paradise. How beautiful. Thief on the cross. He didn't deserve it any more than we did. But he got saved right there. And Jesus looked him in the eye and said, yeah, I'll see you on the other side. And so the Roman soldiers got up there and they took the nails out. And they brought him down and let Jesus baptize him and put him back up on the cross. And no. <laughs> Here's what I believe with all my heart. If that guy could have got off the cross and be baptized, I guarantee you he would have. I guarantee you he would have. There's a, a passage of scripture in uh, Acts 8, the story of where Philip, after the church, was, the church was being persecuted in Jerusalem and it was just being s- scattered and, and the angel, the Lord came to Philip and he said, I want you to go south. I want you to go on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he ran into this Ethiopian eunuch. And he ran into this guy who was in charge. He was, the tre- he was in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. And uh, he was sitting there and the spirit said, go next to this guy. And he's like, okay. So he went over next to him and, and he's listening and he's reading from the prophet of Isaiah. The, the, the book of Isaiah, prophet Isaiah. And, and, and uh, Philip says to him, he says, hey, do you understand what you're, what, you're, what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I understand if no one will tell me what it says? And so uh, Philip said, let me help you understand this. In Acts 8, 32, it says, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent, speaking of Jesus. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who could speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And Philip began with the very passion of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. That is a very special story. Whenever I've read that story before, I'm always, I see them going along in the chariots. And for some reason in my mind, I envision this little puddle. (laughs) And look, water. And I, you know, like, how are we going to? For some reason, I envisioned that, but it probably was a bigger... I'd probably study it more and find out it was the Jordan River or something. I don't know, but... The bottom line was is that he came to faith, and he walked along, and in his immaturity and brand new faith, he, he saw water, and he said, Look, water, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? My heart and my desire, I believe... My heart and my hope is that each of us could move away from, why should we do this? 
Why should we or why should I have to? Or instead of trying to figure out, can I get away with not doing something? Can we move to the heart of the Ethiopian eunuch who just said, why not? What can stand in the way? What can I possibly give as a reason that I would not do something that Jesus himself did? What is a good enough reason? Um... In the, in the Old Testament, Moses had, was with the uh, nation of Israel. They were camped out in the desert. He went up on the, mount, on the mountain and was hanging out with God and got the Ten Commandments and spent a longer time than he might have expected. And while he was up on the mountain, the Israelites were getting restless and they were wanting to do something with their religion. And so they, they took all of their jewelry, melted it together and built an idol. Remember? You heard this story? And so they're partying around the idol and doing sacrifices and dances and everything and and they're like, oh, we can't wait on Moses any longer. We, we better take this into our own hands. And so Moses comes down and, and he looks at him. And that's the story of where he has the Ten Commandments and, the, and, he, and he drops them and they break. And he looks at him. He's like, what are you doing? You blew it. What are you doing? This is my version. Uh, and, and he looks at him and he's like, God, what do we do? What do I do with these people? And uh, essentially, Scripture says he stood on the edge of the camp and he kind of drew a line in the sand. And he just said, you know what? If you're with God, come with me. If you're not, stay there. I think baptism kind of represents Jesus kind of just saying, you know, I'm going to draw one line in the sand. I'd really like, if you're really my follower, if you're willing to do this, will you just, here's a, will you just cross over here? Will you just do this and let, will you be willing to let everybody else know? Would you be willing to preach this sermon in your life? Would you be willing to submit yourself not only to my body, but to the body? What would keep you from doing that? Let's pray together. Uh, I'm going to ask, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute? Um, as, as we think about this for just a moment, we don't do a lot of close your eyes and bow your heads things around here, but I'd like for you today, because I just want to ask you a question. If you, <clears throat> what is God saying to you in this, in this moment? I mean, do you feel defensive? Do you feel, oh, I need to surrender this? Do you, well, there's something there. Or maybe you're here today and, and you've never been baptized because you're not sure you've ever crossed the line of faith. I, I believe with all my heart that baptism is something that does not save you. It is an expression of something that's already happened in your heart. The Bible says very clearly that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room. And the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. That if we, it's as simple as believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you ever come to that place? Have you ever settled that? And I, I think there's a lot of us who were just still wrestling with that. We're struggling with that. We don't understand, we're not sure, we don't know where we are. And I just want to take the opportunity today to make sure. If that's you today, um, I want to say a prayer. And if you agree with this prayer, I want you to, I, I want to encourage you to say it in your heart to God. And scripture says that, that at that moment, there's that moment where you're saved. And just simply say to yourself, say to God, just say, Father, today, I just want to confess to you that I realize that I'm a sinner. And that I realize that I cannot do it. I can't, I can't do it. I can't live up to the law. I can't live up all of the rules. But I believe today that there is one who did. And I believe that he died on the cross for all humanity. God, I even confess, I don't even understand it all, but I know I need it. I know there's only one way, that he is a way, he's a life, and his truth, his name is Jesus. So through this sacrifice, God, will you save me? Whatever that means, God, will you just save me? Will you forgive me? 
through the blood of Christ, will you fulfill the law through him? I want to receive this life. And I think there are others who are, you've come to that place. You know, don't, maybe don't know exactly when it happened. Maybe you were up in the mountains somewhere and you were just talking to God and you had that moment, you're like, God, I can't do it. I need Jesus. And maybe at that moment you came to faith or maybe you're sitting on your back porch or maybe you were at a funeral or a wedding or maybe you were just standing alone and you just received Christ, but you've never come to a place where you've, you've made this profession or made it public. You never come to that place where you were just willing to, to follow him up through baptism and you know you need to. I pray that now is a time and today is a day that you would say, you know what, I'm gonna do this. I'm not gonna let anything stand in the way. This is something I need to do. Would you just take a moment just to prayerfully just tell God, God, I I just want to surrender that to you. And I just want to be willing to do whatever it is you're calling me to do. And I'm going to trust you with that. And I beg you, God, I, I beg you to empower me in my life as a mom, as a dad, as a student, as a believer to, to walk this life in your spirit.